Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Dan Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith, and today we are joined by visual artist Bun Stout. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing really good. Awesome. How's your day been? You know, it's been a good day. I'm, I was inst- installing an art show today with the Chicago Therapy Collective, but it was also one of those seriously, deeply Chicago days where it took me three hours to move a single framed picture from one location in Chicago to another. Mm. And Classic Chicago. Yeah. It was the, uh, the Randolph Street Bridge was cracked today oh, and I got caught I saw in that, that miasma of flowing traffic, that. which was That's better than... wild. Wait, so what, do you know which part of it it was? Was it that part that was like, that's like scary to, for it to be cracked? Like, do you know what I'm talking about? You know, you're driving over that one part of Lakeshore and you're kind of like, oh, I feel this. The boom moment. Yeah. I, I don't know what happened to the bridge. All I know is that I had to extend my zip car three times as yeah. a result and went about my life like a true Chicagoan. Zip, zip cars. Car. <laughs> zip cars. <laughs> I remember, I remember it. That was a cat. Did you hear that? Yeah. Do you want to take a, a minute or do you want to keep going? You can talk about your zip car experience. <laughs> I just remember wa- wanting one. I feel like, actually, like, I remember when they first came out, I was like, sure, that makes sense over. Because at that point, there was no car in my life. Uh-huh. Now we have a car in our lives, which is like a special existence that we have. All right, um, but- the thing is, the zip car makes sense, right? I don't have a car. I used to have a car. I miss my car, but I don't miss paying for my car. Yeah. And I don't miss waking up in a cold sweat, wondering right. where my car was and if I had a ticket on it and if it had been dragged to the hell underneath Lower Wacker. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, every time I get a zip car, I feel like I end up spending $50 and I want to like jump off of Lakeshore Drive. That's the, also the... I, that's the thing with Zipcar is I feel like there's no middle ground. No. You know? Like there's no middle ground between just like once a month having the most stressful experience of your life <laughs> and just having a kind of stressful experience every minute of your life. Exactly. I used Zipcar in college a lot because um, I went to college in Baltimore and I I went to my school was in downtown Baltimore, but all the good grocery stores were in the suburbs, mm-hmm. and so. What we would do is that I had a Zipcar membership, and I would get, like, me and my friends would all chip in to go out to Trader Joe's. <laughs> um, up, the up food in, desert is real. Yeah. We would go up in, uh, uh, up in Towson. We'd go to Towson for, to go to Trader Joe's. And, uh, yeah, we would always end up. It would, it would be me and another person, and we would end up in a smart car on the highway, <laughs> because that was always the cheapest car. Smart cars suck. They suck so much. You, like, can't take them on the highway. I really wanted d- a smart car when I was, really? like, 19. Yeah. Oh, smart when cars are terrible. Uh, I think mid-2000s. Yeah, I really wanted one. It made a lot of sense to me at the time. I found them so aesthetically appealing mm-hmm. at the time that I was just learning to drive. Mm-hmm. But I think about, I've always had like a small sedan. Okay. And every single small sedan that I've had, at some point, I have had every single inch of that car full of bullshit. Whether it's oh, like yeah. pets, right. art stuff, or moving my apartment in like three car loads. Not the smart car. That smart car would so not serve me well. Yeah. Well, it was the thing of, it was like almost freeing. You know, when you watch those, you see those YouTube videos of the, of the, person who's just like i threw out everything i own and now my apartment is one jar <laughs> this is not a hashtag smart car life situation like yeah. i'm not i'm not living that lifestyle i'm hauling stuff around the city yeah yeah no true very true very very true <laughs> like it's not van life it's smart car life yeah it's like if that's truly minimalist you don't even oh, yeah. have the whole van you just lean your seat back you well, go to so sleep the you car wake up. that i learned to drive in my parents had my parents were just are just like classic like we want a giant truck to you know pay seven dollars or not seven gallons to the what am i saying seven miles to the gallon (laughs) that's what i'm saying um and so i remember i i learned how to drive on a chevy avalanche which if if you're familiar with it it's like the the biggest the dumbest it's like the chevy escalade looking thing Mm -hmm. um and it's it was like not even a functional pickup truck 
because it had those weird those weird things on the side that made it anyway it was like super bulky like you couldn't get stuff into it very easily so it's like all the weight of a pickup truck with no none of the functionality yeah i mean you could definitely it had a bed like you could definitely put stuff into it but it, but you know how like i, I don't know what my point ultimate point is that version of daniel very much was like smart car has to be has to have to go because there's no balance in my life it, it has to go from <laughs> one extreme to the other yeah i want a car with one door right that's what i need i want to yeah. i want a car where there's just a porthole on top yeah. that i that i that i slide into i want a car that you know when you're building something from ikea and you lose a screw and you're like oh that's probably just an extra screw i want every time that i lose a screw in that car to go like no this car needed that screw there are no extra screws <laughs> I want a car that when I lean on it, I have to like sort of slump over and like lean yeah. a little lower than I would yeah. comfortably be able to lean. No, just the least amount of metal possible on this car <laughs> is what I'm looking for. I want a car that if it was me and my cat, I would be uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. That's goals for me. Well, have we got the car for you? <laughs> it's called the smart car. <laughs> Are they still made? I'm sorry, we don't have to keep going on about smart no, cars, I, but I, I'm, I'm, you know, I were, think that's the nature of the podcast is that sometimes you talk for the first five minutes about smart cars. I mean, I'm fine with that. I was obsessed with them as a teenager, like you're saying that you were, and then they just they just disappeared like from the cultural smart, radar. You know, honestly, car. I got really irrationally angry at a smart car today because mm. it parked right in the middle. Of two parking spots. There is a 2019 model of smart car. Ooh. Give me those specs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> wow. it's a convertible, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, no. and, and That's, okay, no, that's actually a photograph of a Barbie car. That is wild. Uh, How much does this go? Oh, my. 112 miles to the gallon. Serious? Wait, what? Oh, it's got, it has, there's an electricity factor, that's how. Oh, Oh, it's an electric smart car. The Smart EQ 4-2. Four t- four 412 or 4-2? It's spelled F-O-R-T-W-O. Uh, it It is... Oh, you get a $7,500 federal tax credit. So that's Every year? Not this year, you don't. <laughs> I don't know. Really? <laughs> Varies by state. Oh, wow. I doubt that that's... I'm that's sure that's when you buy That's a $30,000 shoebox. <laughs> that is wild. I like it. It's less boxy looking, I will say. That's you committing to... Oh, yeah. No, yeah, for sure. That's that's a that's a commitment to uh, the single life there. Since we're, like, <laughs> since we're on this tangent already... Oh, no, you could... This is two people. I think Technically, two could do this. it's two people... I really want... There's a... Um, let me find it. Uh, I keep getting mixed up. Well, it, it, what I what it is is either a commitment to friendship or a relationship. <laughs> you can't... It's not both. You can either have a best friend or a partner. This is, the, this is the perfect car for people who want to have a car because they need one in daily life, but don't ever want to have to be the person who, when someone needs a car, they, like, step in. They're like, yeah. oh, I would help, but I have a smart car. You really can't put anything in it. I can't even fit you in it. I'm so sorry. You know, that's this is who that car is for. So this is the electric Volkswagen bus that's coming out in 2020, apparently. And if I find myself in a world where that's a thing that I can afford, which I doubt that, but that's, for some reason, the thought of an electric Volkswagen bus is very appealing. See, that's that's going in the complete opposite direction of... I disagree. Of 2009 smart Now, if we take this conversation, the spectrum of this conversation, and realize that my car spectrum is Chevy Avalanche to smart car, this is a pretty, this is a pretty solid middle, I think. Is the is the Chevy Avalanche bigger than the Volkswagen? Bus? Do you want to see? Let's do this. Let me show you a Chevy Avalanche. Wanna... <laughs> All right. So okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry that your episode of the podcast is so tangential because I actually have another tangent before we get into what we already. So first off, I need to apologize. I have two keyboards on on my desk and I'm not used to it. I accidentally started typing on the on the Mac keyboard when I was trying to go to the PC. Anyway. 
But so I've pulled up now a picture of the Chevy Avalanche from 20, 2009. Mm-hmm. 2009. And it's, it was this one. So it, it had the white body. And you couldn't have a white car without the black bulky bit. This is not... This does nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This thing. That's just like extra extra plastic. For anyone, if you if you Google right now a picture of a Chevy Avalanche, what we're talking about is that weird triangle thing on the bed. Yeah. It just makes it just makes putting stuff into it very difficult. <laughs> like, so like, big, like if you need to do what you've been needing to do, it this is weirdly more difficult. It than gives the illusion of reinforcement. Yeah, and it and it had a it came with a cover, but the cover were like giant heavy plastic slats that you had to like fit into it was like really unnecessarily uh complicated see this car i grew up in indiana so i've seen these cars all over the place and there's a piece of me that's like i'm scared of this car and i'm concerned about the people inside of it and there's a piece of me that's like i want this car so badly (laughs) Yeah, I think I that's the dichotomy of growing up in growing up in the Midwest. Yeah, is where you're like, I so intensely fear what this is, but also it's a part of me. But I'm also a truck slut. Yeah, at the same time, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, it's like those those two parts will never fully be able to integrate, and that's yeah. okay. Well, I think that that's uh, as good a uh, place as any to dive into your art. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> not irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, we're here today to talk about, um, to talk about your art, primarily. So, yeah. <laughs> so. Straight well, from yeah, Chevy the, Avalanche. The, yeah. the first thing we always do is a, is a heavy degree hand of contact, contact, yeah, is a heavy hand of context. That's what that should be called. That's this segment, this part of the show, when yeah. I always go. Wow. Introduce us to the thing. Okay, so let's provide our audience with a heavy hand of context. Would you mind introducing us to your art practice? Sure. Um, It's always hard to talk about visual art. Yeah. Uh, So... (laughs) Well, so what... So what... Like... For your most recent exhibition, what was your artist statement? So, I could read it. I can bring in some pieces from it. There's a few different things at work at once. Um, The first is this reactionary, performative queering of the Midwest. So, the history of my art practice is that I grew up in suburban and rural Indiana, Uh, And I worked as a cake decorator for a number of years. And I started this visual art practice where I would decorate objects that I found that were meaningful to me um, and that they reminded me of the Midwest. So like big gulp cups, football gear, it grew into being like different kinds of guns, um, big box store kind of items, like fashion items that had fallen out of they were off trend for the rest of the country Mm. but the midwest was like still cycling through them oh yeah or even embracing them because the midwest loves the familiar Mm -hmm. you know and like kind of holding on to these older things well and function Mm -hmm. it's very much a thing of like if it's not like if it works for how things go if it ain't broke exactly yeah yeah there's there's a resistance of of getting rid of something yeah i think And so, yeah, and that's very much how I started this practice was I had all these objects that I wasn't getting rid of that all fit into this kind of category. And I started decorating them like they were cakes, Um, not with real frosting, but with uh, basically a permanent version that made them look like they were cakes. Mm. So they were these kind of pretty bejeweled cake objects. Um, I was really inspired by the people that I worked with in these bakeries. They were mostly women or femme, queer people who had this incredibly skilled trade um, and often years of experience, but the art form that they were doing isn't treated like fine art or recognized as an art. Um, They're not paid well, regardless of having sometimes decades of experience. And... 
the art is almost immediately it disappears yeah um so it's this to me, this deeply effeminate thing, you know, it's made often by femme people, it's underappreciated, it's underpaid, um, it's beautiful, and it's used to nourish people. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, was really inspiring, and I wanted to apply that to these Midwestern types of objects. And as I worked through that, I started doing it more to guns and weaponry, which had a different type of effect, and also was a reflection of my experience with those objects as a queer person growing up in Indiana. And after I moved to Chicago, I started making more wearable sculptures, either decorating uh, jackets and shoes and making headpieces, things that people could wear. And that's the practice that I'm working with right now is making these wearable objects mm-hmm. that are mostly used in a drag context. That's, that's really, so there's, in in keeping with the kind of midwestern objects that are that are decorated first of all i've also worked at a at a bakery where there was some amount of cake decorating mm-hmm. and the idea of like yeah those people are unsung underpaid mostly like mostly women who work the hardest workers mm-hmm. i've ever met ever it is it is like I felt like I would go into work and I would I would complain about whatever because I was like twenty two, and, <laughs> and a brat, <laughs> um, and would complain about whatever, quote unquote hardship I was dealing with, and they were like, oh yeah, well, you know, and not in any kind of like one upping kind of way, like oh because they would they would listen, but then they'd be, but then like five minutes later they'd be like, yeah, I'm on my. Um, 20th day of work in a row and I'm pretty exhausted. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I, I never worked harder than when I worked at uh, at the Flying Cupcake in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, I really want to go to Indianapolis. I've never been. Should we go? That's a complicated question. <laughs> I, I For so many years, I would automatically respond to that by saying, do you? You know, and like, yeah. make fun of Indianapolis. But honestly... Indianapolis has really kind of gotten some things together in the last year, uh, or not in the last year, but in the last few years. Um, there's some interesting. There's some interesting culture. There's good food. Um, there's a really cool drag show called Lopone that I'm really excited about and have been following. Um, that's been picking up steam here for the last couple of years. Well, and I really, for whatever reason, have at this point prided myself on being having gone to many Midwestern cities. And just trying to, at least context. He's a New Yorker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So I, I'm not from Chicago originally. Because like no. I've also like I've also been to Minneapolis, but it's yeah. not as impressive because I'm, well, I'm from Milwaukee. It is one of those things of <laughs> that question of do you want to go to this place is such a um uh I don't know it's such a touristy thing like. And I feel like it's so often that we are tourists in places that we shouldn't be. And I feel like for some reason, like, cities in the Midwest, like, more people should visit cities in the Midwest. Like, it's way, way more likely that you're not going to, like, be infringing on someone else's culture. You're just, like, checking out a place. You know what I mean? Does that make you sense? Know, like, I, yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. I have mixed feelings on it. I think Indianapolis is not that place because Indianapolis wants that mm-hmm. tourism and is working so hard for it. But I also think that if you are coming from outside this area and you want to experience the Midwest, maybe don't go to Indianapolis. Go to Lebanon, Indiana, you know? Oh, okay, yeah. Ooh, That's yeah. a you... really interesting question. Yeah, because, like, so we, I, I really enjoyed going to Minneapolis. Like, that was really interesting to me. I thought there was, like, a lot of... And we went to St. Paul, like, just to see the arches. And I, mm-hmm. Saint, Did I say St. Saint... Paul? What am I saying? St. Saint, uh, Louis. St. Louis. St. Louis, yeah. Um, I was like, Minneapolis and St. Paul are kind of the same place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, I've been to so many cities. Yeah. St. Paul. I've been to Chicago. Minneapolis. Evanston. <laughs> Winnetka. Oak Park. <laughs> so um, well traveled. Wow. But no, I, I do think like Indiana is a really interesting state in that it uh it, it's both thought of very immediately and not. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, it's it has this funny 
way I think in American culture of being the the heart of the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Like when people want um, to put a specific on a place that's nowhere, they say Indiana. Right. And it's really Absolutely. effective for that purpose. But and I think that the you know it's it's used in um, it's used in a lot of TV shows like. Um, Parks and Rec all mm-hmm. takes place in Indiana. Right. Um, which, by the way, is full of very specific Indiana references, which are hilarious if that's your thing. <laughs> um, uh, what's the... Kimmy Schmidt, you know, she comes from Dernsville, Indiana. Like, yeah. It's, it's very much the nowhere place. Mm-hmm. And... Well, and I, I know of um, a lot of... The, the reason, too, that Indiana was put on my radar, like, radically is... Um, oh, my... What is his name? Deb. Jesse Meyerson. Oh. What were you going to say? I was going to say, um, Debs. Eugene Debs. Also Eugene Debs. Yeah. But I, I was, I'm specifically thinking of, like, I just specifically know a person that works with, um, I think it's called the Hoosier Direct Action Network. Hoosier. Hoosier. It's something like that. I'm totally butchering it. But anyway, um. Do you know but, anything about Indiana at all? <laughs> not enough, <laughs> But it's, it's, um. It is that interest, very interesting thing of uh, to think about, like, you know, like I really appreciate the 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 wording that you used of queering the Midwest and how did you actually put no this no that is what I said um, and uh, that is because it's one of those things where like you see I mean at this point in my life like in the last year it's it's memes right now of just like or like you know a post on social media of so many places that seem so not of uh like different identical experiences um are they have had those throughout history but they've just been either rewritten or glossed over in the way that we think about these places Mm -hmm. and so i i find that i personally think that in places like indiana that are so easily kind of put into uh you know in the in exactly what you're saying, it's like almost more radical to then go to that and and try and pick out and highlight what what experiences are there. Yeah, that's why I would say go to small towns and you know you that I think is how you'll really encounter the spirit of the place, both mm-hmm. in terms of people, but to me it's it's visuals, you know, like. Sure. The things that make me think of Indiana are kind of haunting, you know, it's like the staring off into the woods um, outside of my aunt's farm north of Bloomington, Indiana, or like standing in the biggest parking lot you've ever been in that's totally empty in front of a rural king. You know, it's there are these very specific experiences and I say haunting and that's something that comes up a lot as I talk with my friends about the like the things that we think are beautiful about the place mm-hmm. um that are that are unrelated to the the culture really well because i think that you know in the in the 1950s 1960s i feel like indiana was kind of put into this position of being like the place where you could really have the american dream like mm-hmm. All of that industry from, you know, out of Gary, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's where, like, it's where, like, blue collar workers could, like, really go and actually have, ex- you, you know. You Superman, right? It, Isn't Superman from Indiana? Is Superman from Indiana? Is he? I don't know. But back, it's a, back to the old computer. <laughs> affordable, you know? A place yeah. where you could make a, maybe make the most Exactly, yeah. It's, it's where you could have, like, the, no, he's not. All right. Illinois. Oh, <laughs> um, it's 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 the it was the place where you could, you know, work a factory job and then go home to your modest home with your you know with your wife and two and a half kids mm-hmm. and and be able to afford it and still have you know and and I think that there's a fair amount a fair amount of infrastructure that is now being neglected there, mm-hmm. which I think that's there's nothing more haunting than seeing something that is built to accommodate a lot of people and a lot of happiness. Mm -hmm. And instead it's just left vacant. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I want to, this is a hard left. So let me know if, if that's a, if there was more, if there was a, uh, no, I'm good. 
the um <laughs> sorry i didn't mean that like that i just the, the no i appreciated that go for it um the thing that i want to ask about which is a conversation that we talk around a bunch whenever we have multimedia people on and we talk about this a lot with performing arts um is uh is the it's an interesting thing being a journalist of thinking about how to like name and verbalize and have conversations around multimedia art that's specifically new and uh and not see i'm already i'm already talking around this conversation but i oh i think it's super interesting and that's always why i'm always drawn to talk about it but um what one of the things we've talked about in the past with with multimedia art and art that is you know uh Wow, I'm just so much. Yeah, you're fine. The 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 thing that is so one of the things we touched on in the past is the idea of standard, and uh, and especially when it's someone that comes from <clears throat> you know uh, having expertise in a field and then leaving that expert not leaving but like building something that is kind of more uh, multimedia and nebula nebulous. Like, do you think about standard? do you find that your work is more focused on a rejection of standard or does it not come up at all? Mm. Um, the standard that I find myself interfacing with the most are the expected practices in contemporary art. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm in my first year of graduate study in the sculpture program at the School of the Art Institute, which for me is a very different environment than I've ever been in before. And coming in my first semester, there was a really steep learning curve in terms mm -hmm. of the kinds of art that is being made right now, because even though I've always been interested in art and even though that was encouraged in me from the time I was young and um, I got to have the privilege of going to museums and seeing art, I still came out of a very specific place where I was not tapped into what contemporary art looks like right now yeah um in like the major centers of the world so i don't feel like i'm working in a reactionary way or pressing against standard or expectations but i've formed this practice being largely unaware of them and now i find myself in conversation with them and mm -hmm. trying to figure out where i belong Abs that's exact this and it's such an interesting piece because it, it, there's a degree to which when you're having these conversations with the people making the art in this space, there's a degree to which when you start being able to quantify what it is that you're doing and, and verbalize and, you know, as a journalist, it's always like, what box does this fall into? As soon as you start doing that, there's a degree, well, for you, do you feel like as soon as you're able to verbalize more and more the work that it, it is not what it was before? Yes. Um, well, I feel like the, the physical work itself has stayed largely the same. I'm mm -hmm. making similar objects and I'm making fashion images and uh, looks and they're related and they're progressing, but it hasn't changed significantly to me or reject that standard. Mm -hmm. But what has really changed is my motivation um i wonder if i can find this real quick i in my first semester wrote a manifesto because i realized that i could keep making things but i really needed to be more aware of my intentions sure. could i could i read this absolutely. absolutely so this is what i came up with to direct to direct my practice from a philosophical and personal perspective um i wrote at best, art will reduce the overall suffering in the world. At least it will not create new and unnecessary suffering. This includes the suffering or reduction of suffering of the artist. Aware that the social power of art is in its making, I'll prioritize sharing making over sharing consumption of the finished work. My art will not be expensive unless it's an expense towards supporting the well-being of humans. The more expensive it is, the more people it should be supporting. I will remember as an artist, my research is based in feeling, exploration, and imagination rather than empirical fact. And so I won't lay claim to scientific or social scientific relevance, but I'll use this as an advantage to generate new possible ways of being. I'll remember that if I'm functioning as an artist, the world is granting me an extraordinary favor. In the history of art, 
the art of canon whose makers have been remembered, the cycles of oppression outside the art world are upheld within. To continue to be an artist, I must acknowledge this and who I am in the cycle and get off the train. What does it look like to get off the train? Short of ceasing to create, my practice has to answer this question. So it didn't necessarily change the art that I was making, but it changed how I went about it. Yeah. I think that examining process is hugely important, especially especially in the realm of wanting to decrease harm. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think that there's an efficient way to do things and a quick way to do things, but that, again, as you mentioned, can be expensive, can be a way that produces a lot of waste, can be neglectful of your own, you know, can be neglectful of your own wants and your own expectations. And and so I think that being very, you know, this, you know, first of all, I think the biggest thing is my art will not be expensive. That, that puts a serious, that puts all sense of like a time crunch out of it. Well, I mean... It's a specific constraint and I, it's something that I came up against when I went into the institution of, you know, being in the school at the Art Institute and seeing, on one end it was really exciting seeing art being put as this incredibly important thing, maybe in this situation the most important thing to which all resources could be directed. But from where I was coming from, Art was not the most important thing. It was something, and is something that I love, but more important than art was food, shelter, and that hasn't changed. And as I work through this institution and try to build a career out of making art, I never want to lose sight of those priorities. Yeah. Um, not not necessarily like for myself, of course, but also in terms of what's important in the world and how I want to direct my energies. Yeah. Do you feel like you could be making art without intent? Definitely. I think I did that for a really long time. I think I made art as a kind of therapy to process what I was experiencing. Um, And if I'm to put it really specifically as a queer person in the Midwest. And I think that art allowed me to, to work through what, I was living without, before I could speak it. Um, But now that I'm in a position where it's a career instead of an activity or a therapy, it's really important to me to use art to do good, like to organize shows that can help people to make money or to organize performance opportunities for people, or at the very least to remember that art is really important to the world, but I'm not going to forget that if I spend $200 in the making of an art piece, that potentially could have been meals for people. And yeah, I, the, this conversation is really interesting. And that, I didn't mean for that question to be any, the thing that I was struck with is, um, the, the, because when we talk to like multimedia performance artists or kind of like surrealist artists, it's like, I'm I'm try I'm always trying to figure out how to verbalize something that you as an artistic person like you understand it like you understand how it functions and and but I think that figuring out how to verbalize that is really fucking difficult and so the, to kind of like second end question of that like do you think that you can have art that is intentional that isn't either working towards a standard or working in rejection of a standard? Like, do you think intent and and including standard in art making are, like, linked? I do think they're linked. I think that you can choose your own intent. um, But I think that ultimately if you are aware of the context in which you're making work, yeah. um, either the, the larger fine art world or the city that you live in. Um, at some point you have to come up against whatever expectations already exist mm-hmm. and decide how you want to interface with them. Yeah. Cause that's the thing is, oh man, that's super interesting. Cause like, uh, 
you can have, like, standard also just doesn't mean, because you can have standard for yourself, but then you, there's also standards that are set by expectation in the world. Like, it's really, it's really, and then figuring out, like, if you're an artist that's specifically, like, I want to just make art for art's sake, it's like, mm-hmm. can it, I, and I mean, like, there are, of course, so many takes to that of, like, well, you know, all art has to, like, art doesn't exist in a vacuum, but also, like, there is a degree to which some artists specifically are like, I do not want to work. I want my art to not to not have intent. I specifically want my art to be without it. And and I think that is true. But I, I also, I just, it's an interesting, because basically as, like, as a journalist, I, I don't know why I keep prefacing with that with this conversation, but it's just, I always, this is, this conversation it's one that I'm I I want to figure out and unpack more specifically with with multimedia folks because not I guess I guess really because there's because I'm putting it in a box I don't know and 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 there's a degree too with that where why I keep bringing it up when we have multimedia folks on is because I I I am doing this thing morally where I go is this, should I be doing this? Well, this is something that I come up against all the time. And as I was writing this manifesto was what I was turning over again and again was, if my primary intent is to do good, why am I making art? I should mm-hmm. be doing social work. Um, but yeah. I'm not I'm not doing social work, I'm making art. So I needed to figure out basically like, all right, what the hell am I doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that there could be a kind of, middle ground um which i guess in the most basic way is the genre of social practice but um more specifically was deciding what kind of good it is possible to do with my art and making sure that i'm moving towards those goals as i make it um because in no way do i want to demonize art for art's sake art is important and I'm an artist. It's what makes me happy, both creating it and experiencing it in the world. And I don't want to minimize that at all. Um, nor do I want to be guilt mongering and saying that everyone should be reorganizing their resources um, and not be spending them on art because I don't believe that. I just found that as I entered a world where art was the most important thing, I felt like this was a conversation that I never happened, was never happening once in a in a world where all people talked about was art, this conversation never occurred, and it was just eating me up. I, I couldn't ignore it, and so I knew that I needed to think about what I was doing and why. Well, so there's a there's a specific piece of yours that I want to talk about, kind of in this vein of, of um, of need and and want and what we can do about it, and mm-hmm. kind of the. Yeah, there, so there's one piece in particular that is it. It is a Chase Bank balance receipt mm-hmm. that is decorated very ornately, and the balance it shows shows a balance of seventy six cents. And you mentioned that this is a this is a piece that you get a lot of comments on, which is not surprising to me because like it's it's really pretty evocative (laughs) like it's like you you see it and it's like it is it's you can't not have a reaction to it because it's something that everyone's experienced like I don't know something about something about you you know you can have a balance of like three dollars and still and still feel okay but once it gets down to less than a dollar there's really there's really something that happens and then you see 76 and that's more than five right like, but it's sense. Like, and then you just like pennies don't aren't, don't exist anymore. Like, it's just such a thoughtful. <laughs> it's like, a, it just you seventy six cents is a just like a feathers blow away from something happening. It's like if you had anything that auto deducts from your bank account that you oh, forgot yeah. about, you're screwed. You know, right. and and that's that's just it. You can't you can't get anything for seventy six cents. You can't even withdraw that. Um, yeah. I want to take a step back okay, and then come back to this. And the step back is, is another heavy hand of context, which is I want to, I'm curious, Maureen just handed, and this is a perfect, this is why this is a perfect, Maureen just handed me her cell phone with the piece. 
which is really it it speaks to a lot of what we talked about but it has the um and i had seen it before but it also it's it has a lot of the the uh influence that you've that you talked about mm -hmm. as a as a cake decorator um but i'm the specific thing that is really related to the step back I specifically want to take is I'm wondering if you could verbalize what the dialogue for you between your you as an artist and your audiences, like like how it how it manifests literally like when you're creating a piece like how much do you think about this that moment of someone just looking at it on their phone, mm -hmm. um and but also uh, <clears throat> like philosophically like how how much do you consider the audience when you're, when you're working on a piece and how does that manifest in the work? The truth is not at all. And I feel like that's something that is coming to kind of bite me in the ass now. Um, but the, the truth is I can't really stand to see myself or try to see myself the way other people see me. Um, you know, I grew up genderqueer in a very conservative environment and I make these pieces from a super vulnerable place um, in a very personal place. And I found that the people who I've, I've noticed that people usually either see the work and either immediately wordlessly understand it to a significant depth or really can't find an entry point to it at all. Um, for example, for a critique, uh, my first semester here, I had um, some friends who are all drag performers come in and wear my work for the critique. And none of them had ever been into my studio at school before. And they all showed up in makeup and they all started putting on pieces. They picked out themselves what they wanted and even though I hadn't given them my artist statement, hadn't really given them much documentation ahead of time of what to do, they all inherently understood what the work was about. Um, and that was so touching to me because a lot of times it does take a lot of explanation. Like, here's how I grew up. Here's what I do. Here yeah. are these pieces of queer culture that will help you to understand the work. Um, and so when I'm making things, I don't mind explaining those things after the fact, but when I'm making things, I can't really stand to put myself in that position or else mm -hmm. I'll never make them. Cool. I mean, not cool, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a really good answer. <laughs> um But that piece specifically. So that's, that's, that... It's fun to it's fun to watch you reel from things. Sorry, it's just like <laughs> no, because no, I just like never, never mind. Yeah. But, well, you like we uh, we were talking about before we got started. Um, a lot of people respond to that piece, and mm -hmm. um, a lot of people respond to that piece who I know have been in a similar financial situation, which is a lot of people of our generation. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people who I'm I really doubt have been in that position, and it's interesting to me to be in this moment of time where I think that everyone feels so insecure in their, um, in the solidity of their material comforts and well-being. that even if, if someone sees that piece and they've never had less than a dollar in their bank account, they still respond to it because they, they get something of that. Yeah. And I think that that speaks to the time that we live in right now. I would honestly almost prefer having a negative a, a negative balance to 76. <laughs> really? Well, no, just because just because at least at that point it's already done. Well, and once it's negative, you know you have to do something. Exactly. 76 cents there's a degree to which you're paralyzed. You're... Right. Mhm. Mm yeah. Yep. Um I also I think it honestly harkens back to it being a relic of the Midwest. Mhm. Cuz I feel like there are so many people like, in the Midwest, where, you know, not to say that people aren't suffering everywhere, but I just, it's just, and the fact that it's, like, a Chase Bank thing, <laughs> like, really just, especially folks in, like, rural settings, like, have just gotten so fucked. It's so many people 
are living yeah so many people live paycheck to paycheck and yeah so many people it's it just it's a, a lot of us are there all the time yeah yeah so yeah I just I wanted to um you know in the way that you use a cake to like mark a, a special moment and then it goes away I just wanted to mark that special moment <laughs> and uh make it something yeah. celebratory well, yeah because that <laughs> in, in a sense <laughs> well no but like I get because I think that monumentalize you know, it yeah because there because we were talking earlier about how like you know I feel like we all feel a little a little different in our lives after the polar vortex, you know, specifically, like, mm-hmm. like I, I look at, I look at things differently, you know, especially I look at, I look at homelessness differently now mm-hmm. because like, you know, oh, I talk about how hard it was for our apartment to be so cold, but oh my God, I can't even imagine being, having had to be outside, you know, and, and it's, and, and I think that. It's like, you just couldn't. Yeah, you, know? you, yeah. you couldn't. So, and suddenly being outside meant death and you had to find something. Yeah. I was up at 3 a.m. last night and there was a cat in the snow pooping in our, in our back and outside of our window. Yeah. And it was kind of cold. It wasn't like super cold last night, but I just remember thinking like. Can I, can I give that cat a home? Like, should I do something? I have no idea why. I'm really glad that you didn't bring that cat inside. <laughs> I have no idea what made me think of that just now or why I needed to say it. But I just wanted to... I, it was Honestly, if I hadn't just said it just now, I would have forgotten that forever. That there yeah. was a cat and I just wanted to say it. Okay. Sorry. Well, it's like, I mean, you see this one cat, but think about all of the people that you see like every single day outside knowing that every single one of those people was at risk of death. Yeah. That, that really changed my perspective. Yeah. And, and I mean, and I think that it's something that you don't soon forget. And I think that it's, I think that it's something that as a culture you're encouraged to forget. And I think that people are encouraged to forget when they had 76 cents in their account. Yeah. And I think that the fact that we're encouraged to forget that makes us less empathetic, which is why these people are outside. Is because we're not empathetic because we don't we choose to not remember when but we it's had also 76 like cents. The reason like you having 76 cents is the reason why you re- there's not much that you can do about someone that's homeless that's dealing with homelessness because um well, but it, at like, least it, at least it makes you more empathetic. But I mean, it's the same thing of like you know, climate change. The whole thought of, yeah, you know, you can go vegan, you can use less trash, you can drive less, whatever. There are bigger things at work that drive climate change more so than the than the actions of the individual, mm-hmm. and it's this weird thing of and and not just you know what I mean like I I. Uh, care about people dealing with homelessness a ton and, and want to see that solved and, and I'm not saying to not do that but I'm just more saying that it's it's a it's this weird thing where in so many ways we find ourselves not able to knowing the problem trapped in the same system where mm-hmm. maybe you have a place to live but you have you maybe have five dollars in your bank account mm-hmm. and here we all are being affected by that same system even though yeah. you have the privilege of having a warm place to go mm-hmm. it's it's excruciating it makes me crazy all the time <laughs> yeah um so i want to talk about um <sighs> sorry no you're no, fine no, so totally... i i'm i'm I, I, I want to talk about the exhibition that you have going up at Galleria. Sure. Um, so what is, like, we'll talk about, like, details of, like, when and where in, you know, a little bit later. But, like, what can people find? Because, well, first of all, Galleria is cool because is this, is it in the same vein as Galleria in that people can purchase pieces of art? Yeah, so the... The show that I was installing my work in today is a group show put on by Chicago Therapy Collective, which is a group that organizes 
art events that um, prioritize trans and gender non-conforming people. And they have a series called Trans Art Is. And this is their most recent installment, um, Love and Liberation. It opens on Valentine's Day and it's about um, trans and gender non-conforming love and eroticism and sexuality. Um, so I have a few pieces in this show. I have a, a mini installation. Um, I do this larger installation sometimes called Mall Kiosk at the End of the World. And it's some of my images and then a bunch of wearable pieces and weapons all together that the audience can come and put on. So um, I've installed a miniature version with just a few items in it. And there are a number of really awesome artists from around Chicago and from around the country, visual artists, uh, sculptors, and there are going to be a number of performances the night of. That's so cool. Um, what kind of um, what kind of things can people try on of you, in your installation? Uh, so I'll have a few weapons there. Um, I've got a frosted studded bat, a mace. Uh, I'll have a couple of wigs and a pair of shoes. That will all be available for try on. That's so cool. I don't know. I just like the. I was gonna I was gonna say the dichotomy of like the the like how femme and like how f yeah how like femme and like light the the aesthetic of your art is mm -hmm. paired like paired with like the hardness of like a mace mm -hmm. but like honestly there's like some there's some hardness there's a lot there's a lot of strength and a lot of grit yeah fe feminist is tough yeah I don't there's nothing harder than trying to do a femme face of makeup every day. I gave up. I don't know how people do it. <laughs> that shit's hard. <laughs> I mean, and you have to be tough to walk around the world. Oh, absolutely. It's so much easier to, it's, it is so much easier to not present as femme. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As, as someone who presents as different genders at different times, I notice such a distinct difference in the way that I'm treated by the world. If I do nothing except for put a long wig on, it's night and day. It's good. It's, yeah, it's wild. It's just a different world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, we have a few minutes left. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on. Yeah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's been really fun. Really, really wet. Went all the way in there today. Yeah. Thanks for letting me talk. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it was really great. It was absolutely needed. It was really, really fun. Yeah. Um, so the last thing we do with all of our guests is a one minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Sometimes it's very obvious, like letting people know where and when they can see a, a upcoming event and exhibition. Otherwise. You like turned into an NPR announcer. I don't know why I, did that. I, don't, I don't know why your, your affect completely changed <laughs> i'm getting sleepy this is so oh, okay is the, um, it's the opening second... and closing yeah yeah events. yeah 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 and um i we've anytime that we do two podcasts back to back i always get a little like okay i've thought a lot in the last muscle through hours. my man you got this I'll try. <laughs> can i can I'll i do try. two plugs if i squeeze them in absolutely you can do two plugs oh, even that was if the you one don't the... squeeze them in so a little uh parting of the of the curtain we uh before the show, we always have three things we tell guests. Um, one of them is the one minute plug at the end. It's just a suggestion. You don't have. It doesn't have to just be a minute. It can be. We we say one minute to give it any sense of structure. Yeah, but it can be, it can <laughs> to be keep people from going on five seconds, or it could also technically be an hour. But I feel like we all would not appreciate that. Like all people. <laughs> Would not also, but also honestly if you had an hour worth of plugs and yeah go I mean, for it I, I guess we're here you know yeah like that's the thing allow me to demonstrate my too, illustrious success marina and i are too nice we would just let that person talk yeah. and we would be like wow wow oh, and wow. Our, our stomachs would be grumbling oh, wow. <laughs> wow wow crossing our legs you've got a lot going on <laughs> All right, well, I'll hit you with my plugs here. First one is, I already told you about the show that's upcoming, Trans Art Is, Love and Liberation. It's going to be at the Andersonville Galleria. It opens on Valentine's Day. 
7 to 9.30, I believe the opening is. And it will be... The, the art will be on view until March 31st. So oh, cool. they're open daily um, till 5 p.m. So anytime till March 31st, you can go in there. Um, and then relevant to our conversation, I feel like my second plug is that, did you know you can buy Streetwise with Venmo? Yeah. That's all. I feel like <laughs> this is the conversation we were having. And if anytime I have an audience, I always want to say that because people mm-hmm. say, oh, I'm not going to get Streetwise. I don't have cash. You can use men. You can use Venmo. It's awesome. I found that out uh, walking around Andersonville during some Christmassy, wintry thing, and um, someone was selling Streetwise, and I was like, oh, "I'm so sorry, I don't have cash." And they were like, "Oh, well, you can do Venmo." And I was like, "Oh, amazing! Yeah, come here. All right, what's the what's the code? Like, what do I type in? Oh, this is so cool! Great! I'm so happy!" And they were like. Oh, great. Like, I was like, you should lead with Venmo. Lead with Venmo. Yeah, like, right? I don't know. I thought that was a game changer. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, now, I... Does, is the, does that go to the person's personal Venmo or to Streetwise's Venmo? So what you do is that they have a code that... So it, instead of, like, you know, putting in a coffee emoji or whatever, yeah. you just type in, like, 004. They'll tell you their code. And then they get money from, from that. Streetwise. Cool. Mm-hmm. So you Venmo, it's like at Streetwise or something. And then mm-hmm. the memo is whatever their code is. Nice. Yeah, it's super simple. <laughs> and I, and like, also, yeah. And I had like a nice chat with my Streetwise friend. They're a visual artist. That's yeah. cool. I mean, anyone who's selling Streetwise is part of our community, you know? Absolutely. They're, it's someone that you see every day, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take care of your community. Yeah, the there's a myth that people dealing with homelessness like are a different person. They're not. They're people. You know, yeah. like that's that's an obvious. Like I think everybody in this room knows that. But I just think it's it it is worth repeating and saying that like people are people, and and sometimes people just don't have a home right now. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. um, cool. That was well. Thank you so much for those good plugs. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Dan Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are so many ways you can do that. The first is to head over to scopymag.com. That's our website. We post all of our articles there, as well as all of our podcast episodes. Um, otherwise, you can keep up with us on social media, on Facebook. We have a Facebook page called Scopy Magazine. We also have a Facebook group that we love and adore called Sounding Board, where we talk about local arts, local politics, and astrology memes. Otherwise, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr under Scopy Mag, and you can find the podcast, the one that you're listening to right now in most Google, uh, in most podcast places, including Google Play, iTunes Podcasts, and Radio Public. And I'm here, as always, to talk about the importance of subscribing. If you head to our website, scopymag.com, and go to our subscribe page, there are a couple ways that you can do that. The first is to sign up for email blasts. This is huge because even though we post across social media platforms, Facebook buries our content. So if you want to see 100% of what we're doing and not just 30% of it, I suggest signing, signing up for those email blasts. Bun signs up for those email blasts. <laughs> yeah, I do. How do you how do you how do you enjoy those emails? Uh, they're great. I always get them when I'm supposed to be doing something else, and then I read a great article, and then I return to doing the something else. I always I low key think of you when I really follow something because <laughs> I'm always like, oh, that's so cool. Like, because I think you're the first person that I ever knew had signed up for them. <laughs> you're like, I know Bun sees this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, because we, I, I, I don't know, I think maybe it was like a month after we introduced it. And um, there it's really cool to know that there are people that see the stuff right away because we publish so much. And we post everything on Facebook and like one thing a day on Instagram now. But there's also like a lot of stuff that I think a lot of people don't, I don't think a lot, I don't think everybody knows all that we do. And so it's cool to know that there are people that know everything that we do because it is a lot mm-hmm. and sorry that it's a lot but <laughs> no it's great this is this is the content i signed up for <laughs> this is the content i want nice. yeah awesome. that's the point <laughs> so yeah. yeah if if uh take that ringing endorsement from bun sign up for those email blasts <laughs> the second thing you can do is become a member for as little as five dollars a month you can help us keep our lights on and pay our artists 
if you're in a position to do so, there are some cool incentives associated with it, so give it some thought. Also, we have merch available. Go ahead and go to scopymag.com store and buy your new favorite shirt. That's a promise. Uh, also, Wait, if so you what's are... the first incentive? <sighs> so the first incentive is that if you become a $5 a month member, you get a a la carte, all you can use, $5 off promo code that does not expire for any item of merch for your brand new favorite shirt. Cool. Yeah. Uh, also, if you are a business or an entity or just have something fun to say and would like to advertise with us, please feel free to reach out to us at scopymag at gmail.com. So give a little, give a lot. And if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep.